Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This week on the Vergecast, all WWDC, all the time. We're going to get into everything from the Mac Pro to iOS to the iPad. It's coming up. Hello, and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of the Verge podcast empire, an empire that consists of two shows, but it's it's small but mighty. Rapidly growing. <laughs> We're trying. Every day we try. I'm your friend, Neelai. I'm here. Dieter Bone is here. I'm here, and I'm old. I just realized that there was a song called Empire by, I believe, Queensryche that is now in my head, and that's just the saddest thing ever. I think a thing that Vergecast listeners maybe don't know is that Dieter listens to a lot of metal. It's like a real thing. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I call that metal, but... It's not what you yeah. expect, but it's also exactly what you expect. <laughs> yeah. Paul Miller is here. Hello. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good. I do not listen to metal. I gotta... That's my confession for the day. Okay. I mean, it's... I mean, you should start. It's healthy. Yeah. I, uh, I've been listening to a lot of old Nine Inch Nails, like broken era Nine Inch Nails, just because I think it's important for someone in the world to remember that Nine Inch Nails used to be like a super aggressive band. And mm. not just like the banjo riff from Old Town Road. <laughs> like that's that's the modern experience of Nine Inch Nails. It's like this one sample in Old Town Road. Anyway, listen to Broken. It's a good album. Anyway, so we're going to do something a little different this week. Normally we have two episodes a week. This week I think we're going to have 2.5. Just follow me on this. There's WWDC, which happened. Dieter and I have been getting... I would say hundreds of tweets waiting for our WWDC podcast because <laughs> yeah. Apple announced so, so much stuff at Dub mm. Dub. And we were there. We got to meet with a lot of people. We got to play with a lot of stuff. So that's this episode of the Vergecast. At the same time, there's another gigantic story happening with YouTube and censorship and all that stuff. I was trying to put together the show last night, and I realized I had no idea how to talk about both of those things at the same time because they're radically divergent. They're both really important. So we're going to do the Dub Dub episode, and then we're going to put out, you know, Vergecast B with Casey and Addy, and we're going to go through the YouTube stuff. So if you're interested in both things, I know people want to hear us talk about both things, this is going to be the Dub Dub episode. A little bit later today, uh, we're going to do an episode about YouTube platforms, all that stuff with Casey and Addy, because, I mean, quite frankly, Casey writes a newsletter about it every day. We should probably let him talk to you. So I just want everyone to know what's going on. It's just too much for one episode, so we're going to try something this week and, and break them up. I know that's a lot of Vergecast in one week, but quite honestly, there's there's enough to support it. If you think it's too much of Vergecast, let me know, uh, and we'll maybe we'll do we'll just do all the news in like ten second bites next week. But this is what we're trying this week. 
just trying to be as transparent as possible. Okay, so here's the news. Here's the big thing I want to talk about. Today, the day that we're recording, is the 10-year anniversary of the Palm Prix. And that's the only thing that's worth talking about. There's no other, <laughs> truly, nothing else in the world that matters. And it, Dieter wrote a great piece for us on the pre and the community. I'm just. This is basically how I came to know of Dieter. Is that he ran PreCentral.com? Paul, I have an extraordinarily vivid memory of you, like running into the trailer at CES with an SD card mm. full of photos of the pre right. on the day it was announced. I, I published the first hands-on photos of the Palm Pre. Yeah. I mean, but like sprinting. There was no connectivity in Vegas when this thing was launched 10 years right. ago. Right. I so, sprinted an SD card throughout through the convention center to get to our trailer to publish the And he photos. burst into the trailer holding an SD card aloft. <laughs> it was like it's an unbelievably vivid memory. But this is the day ten years ago that it, it came out. People like go to Sprint stores and, and buy it. So I just yeah. want to talk about it for two minutes before we get into the Apple stuff because it's kind of a momentous thing. Uh, maybe people aren't as familiar with the pre anymore. You've forgotten it. The pre and WebOS, it everything is it, like everything is sprung from it. The cast of characters in the world of tech are all deeply related to that project, especially the Android side. Yep. Dieter, you want to kind of go through it? All of the history of Not WebOS? Of well, yes, I would. <laughs> yes, Neelai, may I? <laughs> We're going to do three Vergecasts this week. <laughs> I have. I bought a Pre, and in my tainted memory, I believe it was a perfect device only ruined by Sprint. Is that true? Uh, no, absolutely <laughs> not true. <laughs> Um, Sprint did not make it better, I will tell you that, uh, but it was a compromised device that um, they had to get the thing out the door, and so they there was a conflict within Palm of, are we just going to do this thing in C, or screw it, can we do it with web technology? And then, like, well, the web technology, we can get that done faster, and so it became WebOS, but there was a, a conflict there, and that, like, eventually led to, like, a series of compromises that kind of stuck with the company, and then they were always the underdog. Anyway, the point is... The thing that made the that WebOS, especially that initial launch at CES, so amazing was it was one of, I mean, I don't know, fewer than five times in the past decade and a half, maybe even, where there was a tech keynote where somebody got on stage and said, this is a brand new way to use a thing, in this case, a phone, uh, that you've never thought of before, that you've never seen before. And that is completely consistent and coherent and not just like a sort of an idea. We had it with the iPhone. I, I think you could say we had it with the Palm Pre. Maybe we had that moment with Windows Phone. Maybe. Uh, yeah, we, no, we did. Yeah. Okay. That first Windows Wind Phone launch event, they were like, everything is squares. And we were like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> this will definitely yeah. work. Yeah. Um, but like everything that you use on your phone uh, right now, not everything, but many things that you use on your phone right now that you take for granted uh, were done first on the pre. So like proper notifications that don't annoy you that just pop in with a little thing that you can swipe away. Having your apps arranged in little cards that you can move, uh, you know, navigate through. They haven't quite matched that exactly, but whatever. Swiping up to go to your card view, you know. Like be, having a universal search that goes across apps and settings and the web, you know, just ba -ba -da -ba -da -ba -da -ba -da. slide out keyboards, <laughs> slide out keyboards, <laughs> the most popular form factor right now. Yeah. Uh, but the article that Neil, I was referencing is like the other thing that mattered was uh, there was this really great community of just like nice people 
Um, and I do take a little bit of credit for it because I was the person running the forums and I, you know, moderated them. And But I can't take the full credit because there are a bunch of other people that really were like thinking clearly about what makes a good online community. In particular, like uh, WebOS Internals did a really good job of like, if you're going to have a jailbreaking scene, this is how you do it so that it's ethical and they're not stealing stuff and it actually like works right. And uh, that was great and it worked super well. So there's a bunch of that stuff that I actually miss more than I miss, you know, waiting for a web page to load in on a Palm Pre. Yeah. I mean, I think as we, again, we're going to have a whole other episode about platforms and moderation in this moment. And a thing that Dieter knows really well, because he started many of your favorite, I don't know what to call platform-based websites and communities. <laughs> it's true. I mean, Dieter was the editor-in-chief of Android Central. Dieter was the editor-in-chief of Pre-Central. He started these sites. Creating a community that's healthy and respectful and productive and useful to the world requires a fair amount of curation and norm setting and moderation. And it, it's just weird that we used to do that so much. And we mm -hmm. seem to have forgotten how to do it or forgotten that it's important. And we've definitely forgotten that, like, how we can't get into this. But it's, yeah. it's not that we forgot how to do it. It's that we, nobody knows how to do it uh, when there's more than a million people in a single community. It's true. Yeah. Which maybe maybe that's why WebOS never succeeded. <laughs> 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 All right. It solved it. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, that's that part. I just want to point out the pre because it. I, all of us have really deep memories of that moment in smartphone history, uh, and it's it's really important to me that we we trace those connections back because so much was in that platform and it's gone everywhere else. But speaking of platforms and dominant platforms at that, it was WWDC. Yeah. Dieter and I were there. Nick Stat was there with us. Uh, Viren, our, our video producer, was there. I managed to say a lot of specs about the Mac Pro in a three-minute video. Uh, I, was right, I was just like, it was nerve-wracking because there was mm. a bunch of like Apple people and video pros around me, and I was like, Radeon Vega 2 Pro Dual. And they're like, no, that's not it. <laughs> no. <laughs> you got it wrong. How many times did it take you to get the type of RAM correct? Uh, a thousand times. Um, <laughs> also saying eight PCI... Can't do it. Eight yeah. PCIe four slots is like a very your brain doesn't want to think that way. Yeah. So there's new Mac Pro. That was the big announcement. Uh, I feel somewhat bad for Apple that their thousand dollar monitor stands like overtook uh, all the rest of the news from WDBC. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that's self inflicted wound. That's just <laughs> a truly self inflicted wound. But let's. What are you doing? So we're gonna break this up into two chunks, basically by by platform, but not really. So there's a lot of macOS news with Catalyst, the Mac Pro, the new display. We're going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of iPad news. Dieter just put out a video about iPad OS, its new gestures. Uh, I highly recommend it because it really does appear like Fred Federer, you just read our review and just addressed <laughs> yep. it. Uh, uh, there's not a lot of iOS stuff, right? Yeah, less than you'd think. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll do that later. And then there's like just a grab bag of, of silly things. You know my favorite news from WWDC is? Absolutely my favorite piece of news it's that the home kit now supports video cameras and yeah. because apple cares about privacy the way they're going to do like motion detection and, and like people detection on, on home kit cameras uh -huh. is instead of sending it to the cloud they're going to render that video on home pods so the, the home pod <laughs> is now going to do like local video ai stuff it's just it's just the silliest i love it the most but there's like a whole grab bag of miscellaneous like that that we'll, we'll get to at the end. But yeah. let's start with the Mac because it it's a big deal. Do you think we should start with the Mac Pro or Catalyst first? Uh, let's start with the Mac Pro. Yeah. 
Yeah. Sorry. I, I'm excited about the Mac Pro. You should be. And then we, we'll, we'll wrap it up. We'll, like, we'll start in a high end and then the low of Catalyst, or the medium of Catalyst. So the new Mac Pro, we've been waiting for it forever, two years. The trash At can, least. The, yeah. the trash can Pro from 2013 was idling. People thought they were going to get out of that business entirely. Apple, you know, had their, they talk about it as like the moment they admitted they were going to make a new computer, which is really funny. Like, you know, they brought in Matt Panzerino and John Gruber and some other folks and said, we've designed ourselves in a thermal corner. We're going to do a new Pro machine. We're going to do a new Pro display. That was two years ago. And they finally announced it. And it is ridiculous and wonderful. It seems like it is going to be ludicrously expensive. Uh, But just to go through it, if you haven't seen it, you haven't heard about it, real quick, it is a tower. It's built in a stainless steel frame. All the components mount to that frame, so the outside sort of external cheese grater thing is just a slide-over cover. Yep. Although it does have a couple of Thunderbolt 3 ports on it, on the top of it. On the top, but that's mounted, like the the cheese... it's like a that, that part's hollow. That, that's the top. Yeah. So it's, it's got yeah. two Thunderbolt three ports in the back. It has eight PCIe four slots. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, three single height, four double height, and then one is like half size, and that comes with a, a pre-populated I/O daughter card that has USB A's, has USB, it has Thunderbolts, and it has a headphone jack. Uh, Apple's story about that daughter card is we put out the daughter card because maybe you don't want it at all. Um, you can just pull it out. You can do something else with it. Maybe there's going to be new I.O. in the future. You can replace it. Yep. It's just that's how they're doing it. Uh, one of my favorite I.O. features is there's an internal USB port. This is true. An internal USB-A port inside because Apple knows that pro users often have crazy pro applications that require hardware dongles for DRM. And so you can just install that dongle right inside, right inside yep. the machine. That's where we are with dongles yep. now. Internal support. There's a there's a SATA connection in there if you want to plug in a traditional hard drive or SSD, right? Yeah, uh, and during one of our briefings, they kept saying JBODs, uh, and I forgot that that is a great term. Uh, it stands for just a bunch of disks. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kept saying you can. Yeah, that's that's really the bay for JBODs, um, <laughs> which is great. Uh, you can put like a RAID array in there. I mean, this thing is crazy spec. It has a 28 core, 26 core, 28 core Xeon, 28, 28 yep. core. Uh, Xeon, that processor itself is brand new. Seems like it's very expensive. Uh, one thing to be aware of with the processor is uh, they opted to, they're only offering it right now in a configuration with one, uh, you know, slot for the processor. They're not going to have like, you know, dual processor slots that may, maybe someday in the future. But uh, given the specs of this chip and the the thermal envelope that they've created, by the way, they've, they've overdone the power and the thermals here, so that you can run this thing flat out, and it won't it won't hit its threshold for temperature because the, the fans are supposed to be really quiet. They say it'll be quiet as quiet under your desk as the iMac Pro on top of your desk. So it's probably a little bit louder than an iMac Pro. Yeah. But the point is that they, there's these three fans that like blow stuff through, and then they've got a couple other things. So the the thermals of this should allow you to just run that 28 core Xeon processor flat out for as long as you want. In yeah. Theory. Uh, and that processor, uh, I don't think Apple is going to officially support this, but that processor is socketed. So if you want to get crazy in the future, you can replace it. That's something that you uh, cannot do with any other part of any other Mac, as far as I can tell. <laughs> A bunch of DIMM slots. And then Apple has this new connector module system called the MPX Connector. So those those double-height PCIe slots, they're going to sell special cards inside of these MPX modules 
So you get mm-hmm. the regular PCIe connector and then Apple's riff on that connector, another one that has power and basically another Thunderbolt bus on it so that you get the system connection between the GPU and the, the CPU on the, on the PCIe, and then you get the Thunderbolt bus and power, so you don't have to run a power cable to your video card, uh, and you don't have to run one of those like weird Thunderbolt jumper cables. So right. any video card that goes into one of these slots, you can address it from any Thunderbolt port on the system, so you could plug it a display into the top of the computer, which I think is very funny. Um, but that is... I would not say it's proprietary, but it's not open. They said they weren't going to publish the spec for this special connector. You have to like yeah. go talk to Apple. But they didn't sound like they're going to be weird about it. Well, and there's also, if you have dual cards in this thing, they also like have a faster channel between each other, right? No, that's what Paul was talking about last week, the Fabric Link. The that's, Fabric that's Link, on, yeah. Isn't that on the same card? Yeah, that's on, the, that's on one card. The Okay. Infinity Fabric, that's AMD technology that links them up. I do know that the power headroom that this is offering to cards is a, a, a pretty notable, like obviously Apple is mostly using stock off the shelf parts, but the fact that they've designed their own module, there is a lot more power delivery to this module than you typically get with PCIe, like almost like like almost a mortar order of magnitude so th- i think that is actually i th- think one of the biggest deals as far as like the potential headroom of this computer yeah uh, i was listening to the uh, accidental tech podcast highly recommend that podcast they uh, they were talking about the 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 power supply on this thing i, I forget what it's rated at like 15k 1500 1500 and apparently in the us the most that uh, you are allowed to have drawing from a standard outlet like continuously is like 14 <laughs> or yeah so it's like or 16 or something so they're like right at the limit of what's like actually legally allowed to just be continuously drawing power out of an outlet sounds about right so yeah. then in these mpx slots you can put radeon i'm gonna get it right this is from the video radeon vega 2 pro graphics cards or Pulse. pro vega pro <laughs> killing me <laughs> so many words or uh, the dual version of those graphics cards have two GPUs on a single card, so you can get up to four GPUs, and then all that cooling and power can just support all of that running flat out. Yep. Here's what you cannot do with this machine. I mean, you can, but it just won't work. You cannot install an NVIDIA GPU. You can put it in there, and then it will do nothing. <laughs> you, just, you can put it in there and have feelings at it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like when I say you can't do it, it's not like the police are going to come. <laughs> right, like, it's like the TikTok <laughs> meme where they like they actually charge their phone off. Of things. It's not like it like fires like lightning at you when you try. Like you can do it; it just won't do anything. Uh, and we asked uh, Dieter. I would say uh, everyone, yeah. uh, in San Jose, why Apple won't support uh, like people on the street, Chipotle, the crossing guard, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so the the answer that we got from Apple most commonly to synthesize all the answers we heard was. Basically, instead of OpenGL, Apple has Metal to support a graphics card on Mac OS now or, or an iOS. The amount of integration work that needs to be done is a lot different than just putting a driver on Windows, and Apple doesn't want to do it. Like, there was, yeah. there was nothing beyond it. Like, they just kept saying, it's like, you know, it's a lot of work, and we're supporting AMD. And we'd be like, but why do we tell them? And they're like, you know, it's a lot of work to integrate these cards. We take it really seriously, and we're supporting AMD. It's like, but they're right. Th- you could call them. Maybe they could do it. <laughs> They've got in- – like, it's a lot of work, and we – and what is absolutely nuts about this, Sean Hollister confirmed this, you can run the new Mac Pro in boot camp, so you can yeah. boot it into Windows, 
okay. and then your NVIDIA graphics cards will work. That's what, oh. that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> so there's nothing, there's no physical limitation. This is a no. standard plug. Yeah, it's PCI, PCIe 4. Eight PCIe 4 <laughs> slots. Yes, yeah. it is. That's what it is. So if you boot it into Windows, which you can do, mm. you can, you, it will happily support an NVIDIA card because Windows will happily support an NVIDIA card. Hmm. But you hmm. cannot, you cannot in, in, in Mac OS because Apple, you know, it's a lot of work to integrate these cards and we're just supporting mm. AMD at this time. Yeah. I mean, literally, like everyone, everyone in San Jose was briefed with this answer. Now, wh I, I would say Apple kind of believes that the reason people want to run NVIDIA cards is video games and Bitcoin. Like that's kind of their, yeah, right? Like, that's kind of their brush off. Like the available AMD cards are very fast for most of their use cases. They're as fast as the available NVIDIA cards. If you want to do compute, you know, you can like write your weird metal compute application and it's, it'll be fine. Like, what do you, what is it really that you're after? And then it was like, yeah, it's the Bitcoin, right? Like it's, it's like, they think the use cases are actually corner cases. I don't think that's true at all. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to tell. Is Apple making some idyllic future that we will soon ride in? I mean, that's the thing. Apple does metal. Apple is not making a future for everybody. Apple is making a future for people who use Macs and iPhones. Yeah. And so, you know, Vulcan is not like the perfect spec or anything, but that is a spec that benefits everybody when it's supported. You know, it's on Linux, it's on Windows, it's on Android. You know, that's a, that's a, a, a industry standard that people have rallied around. Apple is building its own alternate universe and investing heavily in that alternate universe is only good as long as that alternate universe, you can do everything there. If you can't do everything there, for instance, maybe your um, your like machine learning algorithms were designed against NVIDIA hardware or they use Vulkan compute type stuff. Well, you're out of luck now. Well, I mean, I think the answer is then you can just go buy a PC, which has been yeah. it's quite fairly the answer for like three years. <laughs> <laughs> like Apple's like re-entering this market. It's not like that market wasn't well served. Hmm. So I, I think that's kind of their answer. What I think is funny about the sort of compute stuff you're talking about is the future of those applications are FPGAs, right? I mean, that's where like particular a lot of mining is going. And Apple yep. is actually putting out an FPGA say, yep. for the Mac Pro. It's called the Afterburner card. Uh, and it, it uh, accelerates rendering of ProRes files natively so you don't have to transcode them. Any app that supports their render API will like just get it for free. Mm. So uh, I think they, they showed us Premiere doing it. They showed us DaVinci Resolve doing it. So that's neat, right? A custom FPGA chip just to do that. It kind of reminds me of the Mac I had in like high school, uh, the Centra 660 AV, uh, one of the shortest lived Macs of all times. So it had an at mm. DSP chip in it. Oh and, and you could plug an RCA jack into it and watch video in like a oh, 240 I had, window. I had a, a Power Mac with RCA as well. Oh, yeah. No, there was a real the, moment when Apple was like, RCA jacks are the future of this platform. <laughs> well, I mean, right now, FPGA, like you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but this is a, where a lot of the performance game, like this is how the, the new fancy cameras that we all love so much are working. Yeah. It's dedicated custom hardware acceleration. Yeah, I mean, people are really excited about this card. We have no idea how much it costs. We have no idea how much these video cards cost. We actually have no idea how much any of this really costs. All we have yeah. is the sort of base spec, which is $6,000. Which, by the way, that is not a deal at $6,000. So Apple's claim is that it's a deal against a similarly configured HP, which is $8,000. 
I believe Apple is incorrect. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, 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 we'll see. We'll see. The benchmarks will come out and people will put $6,000 PCs next to $6,000 Mac Pros because most of the enthusiasts who want to check this out are probably not going to dump $35,000 to get like a specced out Mac Pro just, just to have a bake off, you know? So yeah. here is uh, what they said to us several times, which is, this is what we announced just because we have to have some starting place. Mm. But their belief is that this is not for enthusiasts. This is for pros. It will go into big pro workflows at Hollywood studios and production companies and what have you. And almost every one of these machines will be configured to order. Yeah. Mm. In fact, Neil, I asked multiple people some variation of, are you going to have this in Apple stores? And the answer was never yes or no. It was, we think that this thing is going to be 90% BTO or I don't know what, you know, some percent. This is going to be almost completely build to order. Mm. So it's like, ah, oh, huh. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think they're they're anticipating that like a bunch of people are going to go buy this thing. And, and that's fine. But to me, that does mean that there is like, there's a possibility that there's a dip in like, if you look at the like the ramp up from like amateur to pro, like... You've got the iMac, and then like you could like geek out a Mac Mini, and then you could get an iMac, and then you get an iMac Pro. But like, is there a gulf between like iMac Pro and Mac Pro that you know, 10, 15 years ago with our with the old towers, like you would just like you'd buy a tower for like the you know reasonable price, and then you would just start throwing cards in it as you you know earn more money in your life, like their Sonos speakers. Or yes. Something. Um, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you like had a, a killer machine. Like the idea that like a regular person would want to go buy a tower and then like upgrade it over time. Apple's basically saying with this thing, that's never coming back. Those I, people should just buy iMacs. But I think that is true. I, I think those people are uh, buying laptops. I don't even think they're buying iMacs. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't think they should. Anybody who really needs hor horsepower unless they can afford a Mac Pro is it, or unless they absolutely have to use Logic or Final Cut is getting ripped off if they even buy an iMac. Yeah, I mean, because you can buy a PC tower. But I think yeah, Apple's point like, is like that market is saturated. It's well-served. Everything is built to order. Like they are yeah. aiming for the very, very tippy top of the market with mm -hmm. a super fancy computer that has mm -hmm. an enormous amount of headroom. And then I think... The, the reason I'm laughing about this $1,000 monitor stand like the most is for the people who are going to buy it, it doesn't even – Disney's going to buy that thing. You, yeah. you think Bob Iger's like sweating a $1,000 monitor stand? Like he's good. Uh, Pixar, well, Disney but, owns Pixar. I mean I can't name another company because yeah. Disney owns them all. <laughs> but just <laughs> imagine that there was another AT &T, one. AT&T. Marvel. AT&T. <laughs> yeah, AT yeah. yeah. You know, they're post-production – AT&T's post-production. What world do we live in? Yeah. There's one more There's one more group of people that the Mac Pro is for. Yeah. And that's for people that just have way too many gigantic, solid blocks of cheese that they don't mm. know what to do with. They need to like, reduce you. them in size. But, okay. Thank you. Dieter, thank you for bringing this up. This is, <laughs> this is the real elephant in the room. All right. Everybody, everybody called the G5 Mac Pro back in the day the... Um, Cheese grater. Yeah. The cheese grater Mac, right? And it's like, it's funny shorthand. Like, and you, can, you squint your eyes, you can kind of see it, right? There's holes lined up in the front and there's handles on the on both ends, kind of like a cheese grater. And I feel like <laughs> the design team at Apple took this as a challenge. 
They're like, they called the last one a cheese grater, and it wasn't even very much like a cheese grater, only slightly. <laughs> we will show them how to produce a computer that looks exactly like a cheese yeah. grater. And I think they knocked it out of the park. They did a great job. So it looks like one of those fancy cheese graters with wire handles. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's great. I mean, it looks cool. It looks smaller mm-hmm. than it is, which is a, a, like a feat. Uh, yeah, I will say that speaking of feet, the feet mm. on the bottom look really dumb. They look really dumb. It just dumb. looks dumb. The, yeah. uh, they look like bad office. You know, like if you if you buy like a bad TV stand from Best Buy and it's the modern one? Yeah. It's definitely those feet. However, yeah. y- you can buy casters. Yeah. The wheels, uh, you know, I, I was not at WWDC. I was watching at home. And that, you know, when I'm watching a live stream of a tech conference, sometimes I applaud. Wheels was one of my applause moments. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, so, Paul, what do you think? I, I, I come to you with PC nerdery. Do you think they, you think they got it right? I'm so conflicted about this. It's everything I love and some of what I hate about Apple. I love that they have pushed the envelope in every sense of the word. They are they have created a, a computer that seems to have a higher ceiling for power than almost any desktop computer I've ever seen. It might be the most powerful computer you can just like buy straight up, but it, it it doesn't solve the problem that I feel like it doesn't solve the part of the market that I feel like Apple's underserving. It, it, it is solve it is serving a part of the market that they also were underserving, which was these really high end production pros and stuff. But it doesn't solve the problem of the fact that if if I'm an up and coming and up and comer and I want to use Unity or Unreal or or DaVinci Resolve and I want a decently powerful computer but I'm not already rich this doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. And I, I think they would point you at the iMac or the iMac Pro for that stuff. And then I would laugh at them. Yeah, and fair. cry. I, I, it's not unfair. So I'm very confused right now cuz I don't know we're 20 30 minutes into the Verge cast and I expected that we were going to be spending uh, the entire first half of this thing Listening to Neilai discuss uh, methods of local dimming on displays. Oh, is it that time? Uh, with regard to the uh, the Pro Display XDR, and before you pop off, I just want to say, XDR is the stupidest name. It is they, not a like, great name. It's not high definition. It's extreme definition. It's, it's like no, no, it's it, it's it, the most. Okay, Apple uh, has very, I would say, reality adjacent definitions of, of HDR. <laughs> Like, it's so close, and you're like, huh. Like, definitely we were in a briefing, and they told us the iMac Pro had an HDR display, and I was like, it doesn't. Uh, they will happily claim that the iPhone XS has an HDR display, and it's like, does it? Because mm. it doesn't. You know, like, it does if you define it to have it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if you define a minute differently, I can run a four-minute mile. <laughs> but, like, mm. but do, do other people define it that way? <laughs> okay, okay, Here, here's a dumb question that maybe will help understand what this display yeah. actually does better. If I'm at AT&T and I'm mastering an episode <laughs> of Game of no! Thrones, right? Yeah, yeah. And I can see everything that's happening because my XDR display has amazing contrast. So I can see all the differences in the dark portions of the scene. When I email that to your Vizio television <laughs> and you watch it in fake H or re- plebeian HDR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> will it look better because I had so much attention to detail or will it be pure black all the way across the screen? 
First of all, we're starting an email-based streaming service. That's the <laughs> yes. best idea we've ever had. That shit's never going 90. <laughs> <laughs> email to Chromecast. Oh my gosh, it's so powerful. Email to Chromecast. <laughs> That's great. Uh, just uh, think about like a TV, a 4K HDR TV, like a Samsung HDR TV will like yeah. happily produce a thousand nits of brightness, maybe mm -hmm. more. Like someone can go like 2,000 nits of brightness. That generates a lot of heat. You need to have a lot of LEDs back there, but it's big. So they're spaced out. Right. And so you can just do it. And they're also like the pixel density of that display is actually not very high. Right. Right. Because right. it's a TV, it's on the wall. So even though you got 4K, it's like big and far away from you. To master for that on a computer monitor, to match a thousand nits of brightness, to get a retina quality, you, you're just packing more stuff in there. So you're, you're generating an awful lot more heat. So Apple's big claim with this display is that you will be able to properly master HDR and you will see it on your in your work canvas such that when it goes to an HDR TV, which many of them will do a thousand nits of brightness, it will match. Right. Uh, right. Okay. So it's not it's not like necessarily superior to a TV. Mm -hmm. I mean it, it is because it's a reference display, but in terms of brightness, many TVs on the market are are really, really bright in a way that monitors cannot be. Okay. So Apple's big comparison is like a $43,000 Sony OLED reference display that will go to reference brightness for HDR, but can't stay there and overheats and then dims to cool down and then flips back. And they're very proud of this demo. They're like, look, the light is amber. It's, it's off reference. And I'm like, that's not relevant to literally anything I do. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but it was like, that's the demo. So yeah. they've got this display. And the thing that is, that is different about it is they've used this array of blue LEDs as the backlight. It's 576 local dimming zones. You know, Apple, I love Apple display stuff. Mm. Like, they they do different things than, than virtually everybody else. Um, and I, th I always think it's interesting. I think their displays look great. So the each of those LEDs is like in a custom little reflector pocket that's sitting in front of a half mirror that re-reflects the light. So they're, they're like shaping this light. And the LEDs don't shine forward. They shine out. So first they're using blue LEDs, which basically no one else does. They're shaping that light really aggressively. What do you mean sh don't shine forward but shine out? So if you just think like the, the wave guides are in and around the LED, instead of shooting mm. straight at you, they're shooting out. I'm like spreading my hands out. They're shooting right, out yeah. into this like well and that light is being collated and sent out. So it's more diffused from the jump. So the light would be more diffused and it would bleed, but since it gets shaped by this, pros will understand this phrase, a layer mask. The shooting yeah. it out means that the, the light is more even across the, the points of the LEDs. That's how they're shaping the light to be more even. And then on top of that, they find a way to have it not bloom so that one thing can be super bright and right, the pixel right next to it can be fully black. And, they get, and the question is, the what are they doing to LCD to make that happen? So this is really hard to describe. I encourage you to like, just go look on YouTube for like a local dimming demo. But the thing that you want is blacks to be black and whites to be really bright, right? And doing those things right next to each other is extremely hard. So like an OLED TV or an OLED display in your phone, the pixel itself is the light source. So you're literally turning the light on and off. And so you can have a totally black pixel and a totally bright pixel and they, they don't bleed. An LCD display, it gets its light from a grid of LEDs behind the display. That's why they're called LED LCDs. And so local dimming is we're going to turn some of that grid off and some of that grid on 
around the portions of the screen that are light and dark. So if you've ever seen an LCD TV bloom, and this is, if you turn, if you have like a Vizio TV um, or any TV that does aggressive local dimming, a Samsung TV, and you turn local dimming all the way up, like, uh, and then you bring up, and you have a black screen, and you bring up a UI element over the black screen, yeah. like in an Apple TV, you will literally see the TV bloom because all the LEDs around the UI element turn on and all the LEDs around it are off. So you see like blooms right. of light. So that's the problem with LCD TVs. Apple is controlling it because they're they're sending that light out from the grid behind the display. It's an LCD display. They've got 576 zones that can turn on and off, and they're sending that grid out and more precisely shaping it. But they showed us this demo. This is why Dieter thinks I'm going to nerd out about this. Oh, by the way, I'm fully nerding out about it right now. They showed us this demo. It's a it was one of the Pro Display XDRs, and it was like successive layers of it were removed. So all the way on the right was like the finished image and then without the diffuser and then without the color correcting layer and then all the way down to we can see the individual blue LED string on and off as like an image moved across the screen. One of those layers, Dieter, I don't remember this, one of those layers was not in color, right? As yep. the image moved, there was like a monochrome image moving on the screen. Mm -hmm. That's not how a normal LED works. Yeah. Or a normal LC, a normal LC is like always in color. Yeah. So I, they w I asked this question very directly, like three times. Are you using an LCD to further mask the local dimming? Yeah. Because that is, it, that is one of the newer technologies on the market. That you, we've seen it. We saw it at CES uh, from like Hisense. And they were like, we're not going to talk about that. And I was like, but are you using an LCD to mask the back? <laughs> and they're like, we're doing something else that you can't just do with layers. So I was like, are you doing it? And they're like, we're not talking about it. So I think they're doing... Maybe they're not doing it at all, and they just don't want to talk about it at all. That's probable. But I think they're doing some crazy stuff to get that million-to-one contrast ratio that literally no one else is doing because no one else can get it with an LCD. And this display looks great. It is super expensive. It's $5,000 without a stand. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the, the mount on the display itself is like a magnet. So if you watch the video, it, it clips onto that $1,000 stand with a magnet. So even mounted on a Visa stand, you have to pay like 200 bucks for a little adapter. <laughs> yep. Again, I don't think, you know, if you run a big production company and you buy 50 of these things, and you, you've got the racks all set up, like, you're just, you don't want to buy the stand, so why would you? So that makes sense. And then if you're like, yeah, it's whatever, like, I'm the editor of Game of Thrones, like, I would like a $1,000 monitor stand, they're going to be like, yeah, that's fine. You've made <laughs> enough money for us. Uh, <laughs> the stand is really cool. Uh, the display has two fans in it, just FYI. Uh, they're very quiet. Apparently, you can't hear them. Massive. They can also grate cheese. They can also. It's got the same cheese grater pattern on the back. Uh, and then there is a matte version, which is a thousand dollars extra because the glass itself is etched, as opposed to like a film being applied. It's nano etched, Eli. Yeah. We were in the briefing and they were like showing us all the stuff, and they you know they did the bake off with all the other displays, and then they were like, "Tell us what else a pro would need." <laughs> and we were in there with another journalist, and he was just like, "I don't know." I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very impressive. I want one of these displays very, very badly. But I don't think my use of Google Docs and Slack <laughs> are going to convince our CEO to give me one of them, but I'm going to do my best. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to talk about Catalyst? And then we can we can shift the iPad. We take a break and talk about the iPad. All right. So the new version of macOS is called Catalina. I, I literally do not know or care what most of the new features are. <laughs> I mean, it's like whatever. Um, but the big new one is uh, they have made Project Marzipan. They've officially given it a name, which I almost didn't think they were going to do. They're calling it uh, Catalyst, 
and I was really hoping that they would, um, you know, make make it good, make it, <laughs> uh, everything feel like um, that, uh, you know, it belonged on the Mac. And I kind of don't think they did. I kind of don't think they, they, they did enough. And so we might have another year of, like, iPad apps on the Mac that feel yeah, not great. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe all these iOS developers are going to do amazing work. But um, I don't know that there are quite enough tools. But perhaps there are. But Apple itself uh, only released a couple of these apps, a couple new versions of these apps. Uh, there's the podcast app and the uh, the something else. I forget the other one. Well, they decomposed iTunes into podcasts, yeah. music, and... Apple TV. TV, Apple TV. Yeah, Apple TV might be the other one. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the other big news with Catalina is they 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 killed off the uh, the iTunes app, although it still exists sort of in terms of like they're a store existing. When you plug in your iPhone, sync becomes an option in the sidebar of the Finder, which makes sense. It's sort of like where your like external disks show up. Um, I still wish that they would have just brought back iSync, but whatever. And then, you know, the dashboard is gone now and they changed the shell to ZSH. Yeah, to ZSH. Neil, do you want to have feelings about the dashboard, or shall we move on? Let's move on. Nobody cares about the dashboard. <laughs> I What's use it next? every day. <laughs> it's trash. <laughs> Give it up. <laughs> I do. You know the thing about the dashboard is that it it was like the first time, or one of the first times, Apple just killed a third party utility by building it into the system. Yeah. What was that like called? Confabulator. Or yeah, something? and they and they like reached out to the confabulator guy, and they're like, "We love your thing," and he's like, "I don't want to sell." And they're like, "Here's dashboard." <laughs> <laughs> And now it's gone. Yeah, uh, we still look. We saw, we saw some Catalyst apps. They're fine, but you can tell. You 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 definitely can tell. Like the sidebar is a little bit bigger. Like there's things like you look and you're like, oh, I see that. I see you. They're definitely iPhone apps. Like the podcast yeah. app is 100 percent the iPhone podcast app. Yeah, just with some and Windows stuff. Some of that's gonna suck. Some of it's gonna be just fine. And I'm like not super like snooty about it. Um, but then again, I use Electron on Mac and I'm fine with that. So. I am by definition not snooty. Yeah, it is nice. They have that low bar. Like if you can beat like cute and GTK or I don't know if GTK actually goes on Mac, but if you can compete with like a, a, a knockoff or a non-native UI library or, or framework, then you you win, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, the one thing that they kept on saying, though, they said this twice in the keynote, is how excited their developers were to not have to have a Mac OS development team. They could just have the iOS development team handle it, which is like, woof, man. You're just telling people not to hire developers. I, I see you. That's, <laughs> that's, that's rough. Well, they weren't doing it anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's that. Uh, that's all I really have to say about it. We should talk about iPad, though. There's a lot more that's going on with iPad. Well, we, we've gone for almost 40 minutes. Let's take a break and yeah. come back and do the iPad. Okay. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance... Who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. 
the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, Dieter, we're back. Yeah. It's, this is your, I mean, you gave me 20 minutes to talk about display LEDs. <laughs> so I feel like we should talk about the future of computing maybe for like five. So the, man, I don't even know if I can list off all of the stuff that they did to the iPad. Number one, it's no longer running iOS. It's running iPad OS. What does it mean that it's iPad OS instead of iOS? It means, I don't know. I don't know what it means. As near as I can tell, it means that now Apple has to commit to having like real iPad OS updates every year, which is actually great. They have changed up the way that multitasking works a little bit. Now you can have that that slide over app. You can have like multiple versions of them, and they can like fan out. You can't rearrange them like you can with WebOS, uh, but you can like <laughs> swipe through them really quickly, uh, like you can with an iPhone 10, which basically means that that little slide over window becomes like an iPhone 10 that's like hanging out on the right side of your tablet. Mm. which is pretty cool. They also have done a bunch of stuff with uh, drag and drop for multiple windows. So apps can have multiple windows now, not just Safari. So that's great. Um, anything that you can like drag, you can basically turn into a window, which is kind of wild. And then they also have like app expose. So if you long press an app on the dock, you'll see all the instances of that app, all the spaces you put it in. Or if the app is open, you can like tap on the that same app on the dock and it'll jump into that thing where you can like look at all the windows on it. And I want to clarify, multiple windows sort of means multiple instances of the same app. So they could be different views of the same app, um, or they could be multiple of the same view in in the same app, right? Well, it depends what the app allows you to do, right? Like Safari, you can just open up the same page in two two columns. Mail, you like, you probably, I doubt that you'd be able to get like two, your inbox in two different separate windows, but you could definitely get your inbox and you know, one of the emails you're writing and then a third email that you're like referencing in three different windows if you wanted to. I guess I'm a crazy person. This has been a longstanding thing with with the iPad for me. Like as a writer, one of my fundamental things I do when I write, I have the text in front of me and then I have reference text. It might be notes. It might be an earlier draft and not being able to use the same app in that side-by-side way has been very frustrating. So I I feel like they they solved that for me, hopefully. Yeah, they didn't solve it for me because I still have to use the garbage Google Docs app on the iPad and and that doesn't multi-window, but they're going to force all iPad apps to support at least like the resizable window thing next year. It's going to become mandatory, which is like just Great news. I, I don't know that all this new multitasking stuff, like, it's like some real fing- finger gymnastics, right? Uh, and I don't know. Like, are people going to use all that stuff? I think people are going to take to that new, um, the new, like, iPhone on the side of your iPad thing really, really quickly. Um, whether or not, like, it conceptually makes sense to start, like, dragging sheets off and, like, take, take an icon and drag it over here and, like, how many app instances of my app window do I have? Blah, like, all of that, managing that kind of workspace, I think gets um, will get really hard really quickly. Uh, and it's actually way more complicated, like, way more complicated than the simple, like, window model on your Mac on a desktop. So I read your your piece today, which is very good, and I watched your video. Oh, I haven't even gotten to the finger, the like the new like finger gestures. That stuff is crazy town. Okay, well the drag and drop piece. I want to talk about the finger stuff, but the drag and yeah. drop piece, 
I think where Apple is going with the iPad is that if you just try to do something, it happens. Right. Right? Like, if you're just like, what if I just, like, pick this up and slide it over here and, like, use five fingers and a thumb for my – like, and they're like, yep, that'll, that'll work. Yep. And I don't think any of it is meant to be a workflow. Right. That's kind of like – that's my read of it now is, like, it all that's just kind of does stuff. Yeah. Right? Like, it all just sort of happens. And, like, there's an internal consistency. So if you just, like, keep monkeying around, more things will happen. Right. But I don't know that it – that they're they're expecting anyone to do it on purpose, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but that gets into the 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 pinches because there's like fifty. Yeah, so pinches they now. they added they, like one of the problems with the iOS is you had to shake to undo, and everybody hated that, so they needed a new gesture for that. So they've added new language to the iPad OS, not necessarily to the iPhone, where three fingers does stuff now. So if you uh, three finger pinch, that co- copies, do it twice a paste. If you three finger plop, that paste. So no, it cuts and then pastes. Uh, then you can go left and right, and that'll be undo and redo. My whole hang up with this, and I made a whole video about it, is like I don't understand conceptually how someone graduates from like one finger to two fingers to three fingers. Like they don't seem conceptually like related to each other. They they're internally consistent. So one finger like moves stuff, two fingers select stuff, three fingers edit stuff. So that all makes sense. But I don't know how like somebody learns all of that stuff. Well, two pin- two finger pinch zooms. Two finger pinch zooms, right? But sometimes it, sometimes it selects. It can select on list. If you don't pinch, you just hold them down. Also, if you tap three fingers, different things can happen too. And on your computer, two finger scrolls. Right, that's true. Two finger scrolls, one finger scrolls on um, on the iPad, but two oh. fingers selects. Well, no, if yeah. you have an iPad, you're in the future. You yeah, you don't have what, what's a computer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, well, now you can you can plug in a mouse. Salt, and you can plug prob- in a mouse. Problem solved. Yep. <laughs> also, you can apparently grab the scroll bar on the side now. The you can grab the scroll bar. If you move the cursor around and you, like, like move your finger really fast, it, the cursor, like, gets really, really big. So you can just, like, move paragraphs at a time, which is kind of cool. One of the new gestures is – I don't even know if you call it a gesture – is selecting text. So – I'm sure everybody who's ever used a mobile device basically since the pre came out has had a problem where when you're editing text, you have a cursor. And when you use your finger to move around in that editable text environment, all sorts of bad things happen. And it's never fun on any platform. Yeah. Well, so this is this sticks to Neil's point is they they like got rid of the magnifying glass and they they're just like, just move your finger around and we'll get it. We'll figure it out. If you're are you trying to select or move the cursor? There's like a difference in how exactly you pull each of those things off, but Apple's basically like, we're going to figure that out for you with the iPad. Like, well, I don't, I actually don't know if I can precisely explain how you move the cursor versus how you like start with a right. selection with the cursor. The on screen demo, the first time Apple ever demonstrated this new interaction method of an intuitive selection, the guy who works for Apple couldn't do it. And like, I, yep. I, I don't want to judge beta software too strongly, but this is literally the demo is designed to demonstrate that they have improved <laughs> on text yeah. selection and he can't get the motion right. So all of this like interface stuff, um, I think that for mo- for a lot of people, it's not going to matter because they're just going to use it like they use their iPads. It's like, the, but it matters for like, can you use it as a computer? Hmm. Um but it doesn't matter can you use a computer as some other things that they did. For example, uh, they watched Neli's review of the <laughs> iPad Pro, and then they specifically just went thing by thing that he complained about in that video, and then they announced a fix for that precise exact thing on stage during the keynote. I mean, by name. Like, literally by name. Do you feel powerful, Neli? Do you feel vindicated? 
I feel like uh, I said extremely obvious things to them about their decade-old tablet, and they're yeah. like, yeah, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> um, I mean, like, they made it sound, look, they did some stuff around, like, plugging in USB drives that yeah. is indeed novel, right? Yeah. So USB drives mount in, in user space, they're protected, they don't want you to, like, I don't know, install malware off of USB, great. So that's different. Did that require a multi-year project for their operating system that is based on like a 40-year-old operating system? I don't no. know, right? It like required, I doubt it. Yeah, it required somebody telling them it would be nice if like this totally normal natural thing worked. And they're like, oh, people use our devices not at uh, Apple Park. <laughs> yeah. So what? it's USB drives. You can mount, yep. you can mount uh, local storage in the Files app. Mm-hmm. A huge variety of file systems, hard drives, USB yep. drives, SD cards and readers. Files uh, app also works with uh, SMB if you are uh, living in that world. And they were like, we think that's going to be great for people without AirDrop. And just yep. like the way they said it was very much <laughs> like, can you imagine? Um, <laughs> the dirty uh, people. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. They wrote an API so that apps can address particularly the, the camera stuff directly so you can import directly into Lightroom, which... Honestly, it's just so late coming, but it, I'm so happy it's finally here. And then they added a desktop class browser. Those are the things. Those are the things. Yep. They, yep now. they added a browser that they are calling desktop class. I think the verdict is out whether or not they, how good they did. So Dieter, you, I mean, you, you played with it. You opened Google yeah. Docs. You did the whole thing. What do you think? It, it is, the verdict is out. It is unclear. One of two things, ha- one of three things happened. One, they like b- took like proper mobile Safari and like did some real ports and like put it on the iPad and it just works better than now. Along with uh, two, they have figured out how to do a better job of making touch work on a bunch of different websites uh, that are, don't expect to have touch. Or three, they have gone through the most popular websites that people complain about the most and made sure that they work. Amongst all of that, the thing they, they like clearly did is they changed the browser's user agent to desktop Safari. They, so like it is desktop Safari. That's what a website sees. And then when you go there, it will present it will try and send you the desktop version instead of just, you know, assuming you're on like a big ass iPhone. And then Safari on the iPad will be like, well, this actually kind of sucks. I'm going to reflow this website a little bit to make it better. And then I'm going to put like this layer in between uh, that it optimizes it for touch. So they are like re-rendering a website and they're optimizing it for touch and they're quote unquote lying, I don't know, about what kind of browser they are. Um, All that adds up to me, like they didn't take Safari from the Mac and put it on the iPad. It's still basically mobile Safari, but it's more capable now and they're doing much more work to get websites that don't aren't optimized for mobile Safari in the way that in a perfect world they would be. And they're basically like, you know what, our our mobile safari actually could work with your thing if you weren't idiots who didn't know how to code a web page. So we're just going to, like, do that for you. So here are my questions. There's so yeah. many of them. Okay. One, just, like, philosophically, in the world of responsive websites, which is basically mm-hmm. the world, the mm-hmm. tablet breakpoint is, like, gone, right? Yeah. Like, you're not doing that. Any- like, you're still making a breakpoint for different sizes, but you're not, like, turning it into some mobile version at the tablet breakpoint. Uh, in some cases, some websites do, but I'm with you. you see, well, you're not doing the, like, here's the mobile experience with some subset of functionality, here's the sort of middle one, and then here's the desktop one with all the buttons, right? Like, right. that middle zone is going away. This makes sense on, like, the 13-inch iPad Pro, 
because it's a third, it's a laptop size display, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of makes sense on the 11. Are they going to do this on the iPad mini? Because that just like, to me is like the funniest idea. So that's like one question, like, you know, that the whole world has kind of built itself around, like there's an iPad class, an iPad breakpoint class. Yeah. And we're going to build websites that do iPad stuff. But now they're just saying it's desktop Safari. That's going to be super interesting. How are they going to rewrite right. it? Yep. Second big question, this one I kind of like, I think is even more philosophical. It's like, what is a desktop class browser? Because we, what we have been, what we have always meant is a bunch of these web apps don't work here. And you get kicked to yep. using an iPad app, and the iPad apps are often inferior. The, yep. the example is Google Docs. Google mm-hmm. Docs for iPad is just an inferior product as an app. Mm-hmm. And they were very clear that Google Docs on the web now works in this browser. They're yes. very clear that a bunch of like web CMSs work in this browser. I think that is in particular directed at like product reviewers. Yeah. We're like, <laughs> I can't use this as my laptop because my like rinky dink CMS, I won't name yeah. names, but like we know these folks, um, yeah. doesn't work in it. So like I have to go to a laptop to file. That is not true of Vox Media, by the way. Yeah. Chorus. Uh, we can use Chorus from an iPad right now. It works fine. You can use Chorus from an iPhone. If you're, uh, by the way, a major media company, you're in the market for a new CMS, Chorus is now available for licensing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had this problem when I was, uh, I would I would try to send the, the newsletter for Circuit Breaker and I could do everything pretty much okay. But then there's a slider that you can slide to delay the, the sending. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't grab the slider with the iPad. So I'd have to have a co if I was only iPad that day, a yeah. coworker would have to fit to slide a slider for me. But uh, to, to answer a couple of your questions, most breakpoints are just based on size. They, yeah. So that's already pretty much a, a solved problem. The big problem with interactivity in web apps is that there, there's a concept of a click and a concept of a touch, and you have to program for both. Unless right. you are, do a simple click, like most interactivity doesn't quite, it doesn't actually interpret one-to-one. So it is more work for the web developers. There is no automatic fix to turn every click interface into a touch interface. So, but I think that might be the work that Apple is doing. Yeah, okay. Apple's trying to do some of that on the fly. And I don't know if they're doing it like through like, magic or like they've picked three or four like common like web interactions and are like just translating them or like a web monkey script yeah like a grease monkey script exactly (laughs) or if they've got a whole bunch of like websites that they're like okay we're gonna we know this one is broken we're gonna fix this one and it may be that if if it's doing the second one it may be that that's fine like honestly like there'll be some some stuff at the edges that doesn't work but if apple like just has to go through and like when a website is broken like manually like recode safari to fix it that sucks that's not what you want a web browser to do but uh, if that's how they want to run their you know their engineering time then then more power to them i guess i don't know yeah i mean when you add it all up it's like they said it's ipad os it's just a marketing term and then they did all this stuff and that the real question for me is like the big big question is is it going to diverge from ios right Right. And is the phone going to be one thing and is there going to be an iPad team and it's going to gain more capability that eats into laptop capability in a way that the phone doesn't need that work to get done? Or is all, a lot of that stuff is bleeding back to the phone already. Right. You can actually like plug a mouse into the phone. Do USB sticks? Yep. All that stuff is going to bleed right back in iOS. Yeah, there are some I think some of the three finger gestures might not bleed back to the phone, but otherwise, yeah, it's all there. And, and the windowing. So basically the windowing yeah. and a couple of the gestures, that's the big difference. 
Yeah. Also, Sidecar. Very excited about Sidecar. Oh, so, that, can I tell you the coolest thing about Sidecar? Yes. They Sherlocked not one, but two very popular <laughs> iPad apps. Well, oh, they did that. I never thought I would say this. They did something really cool with the touch bar. So, like, you, you, <laughs> it's just a fact. They did it. I'm, I'm out here. I'm, 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 I'm standing touch bar. So you plug your iPad into, the, into your Mac. It shows up. It's, you know, it's a little Wacom tablet. The stylus works, the whole thing. On the left side is like a bunch of modifier keys. So if you're writing with a stylus, you want to hold down command and get a different you know, function out of, out of the pencil, you can do that. And mm-hmm. then on the bottom, they mm-hmm. redisplay the touch bar. Yep. So you can like, you know, you're like in whatever Adobe app and you see the touch bar at the bottom with all its like little quick commands. It's just right there. And it's like they forced everyone to make touch bar stuff, even though no one wanted it. And I'm just like, was the grand plan that they were going to make it cool on an iPad in the future? Because it's, it's like the one place where you see it, you're like, that's really neat. Like, they just got for free this, like, row of shortcuts in every app that displays on Sidecar because mm-hmm. it's just the touch bar again. It's just cool. We saw it. It was, I mean, it's all beta. A little bit buggy when we saw it. But I'm, I'm actually super excited about Sidecar. And uh, it works over Wi-Fi, which I do not believe will be as as responsive as a cable, but they claim that it is as responsive as a cable. Yeah. We'll you see. cannot start it from an iPad. You have to go to your Mac and say send to the thing. So it's not like VNC. You have to like go do it. Right, right, right. But right. I think I think it's super smart. Okay. Do we want to go through a bunch of miscellany? Uh, iOS, iPhone is literally miscellany. It got dark mode. Uh, they fixed the video editor so you can record stuff. They made a dope uh, editing interface for photos. It's really good. Yeah. Um, they changed the way that Siri works so that it's no longer taking little snippets of human voices and, like, putting them together, like like jigsaw puzzles to make it Siri talk. They're actually just straight up doing uh, computational voice from the jump. Um, that's kind of – oh, and then Apple Maps, uh, the good Apple Maps that only exist in the Bay Area are going to be in all of the U.S., I think, by the end of the year. And they copied Street View. They, they also, like, made a big deal out of announcing Street View, which Google announced in 2008. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it did feel a little tone deaf at the moment. Um, yeah. The audio sharing thing, what, I'm, I forget what it's called. You, you Okay, before the pre, there was a TV commercial that probably set me on the path that I, where I am today of being a huge nerd is there's a Palm commercial where there's this missed connection on a train. And yep. so he, he or she, I forget who instigates the IR beaming of contact information between Palm devices. Uh, and that's so cool. And then I remember when Bluetooth came out, I was like, oh, Bluetooth is going to make this misconnection situation even better. And now here comes Apple with what was already such such a status symbol for teens, the AirPods. And now if two people have AirPods and iPhones, they can tap their iPhones together somehow and listen to the same music. Yep. It's a revolution in cute, aspirational products. It is. I mean, you know, a few years ago, you would just take one headphone out of your ear and just give it to someone. Yes. And now you can do that same thing with four Bluetooth radios and three computers. <laughs> yeah, like $3,000 worth of hardware. <laughs> it's neat. Uh, who doesn't love it? <laughs> we should talk about single sign-on. Uh, it's a lot. Okay. Yeah. I bet I can do it quickly. Mm, good mm-hmm. luck. This is a big deal. It has not been implemented, so I cannot tell you what kind of big deal it is. But Apple keeps coming at Google and Facebook for tracking. So you might remember they've blocked, like, third-party cookies in Safari by default. 
They do all kinds of ad tracking, blocking by default in other ways. Now they're they're coming after login with Google and login with Facebook single sign-on buttons, which are very popular, very useful, but track you. Like that's the the trade, right? Like Facebook gets app analytic data about how many of its users log into apps and what they use, and they can correlate all kinds of stuff. Google gets the same data. So Apple's saying, okay, we're doing login with Apple, sign-in with Apple. So Apple says, we're doing sign-in with Apple. Yep. We're not going to do any of that track. We promise. We, we, we cross our heart and hope to die. There's no way to know. Maybe Tim Cook is tracking everything you're doing, but he promises he isn't. But given Apple's entire history and public stances, you can assume they're not. So we're not going to track you. And if you want... If the service requires an email address as part of the sign-in, we will automatically generate randomized email addresses per service for you that correlate back to your account, and you can turn them on and off at will. Yep. Right? So you sign in to Uber, you give them a fake email address. A year from now, it, find, it turns out Uber is doing some shady tracking. You don't have to like reset your whole iCloud account. You just like turn off your Uber account in Apple and iCloud. Right. And it makes it completely impossible for you to you know, share passwords Mm-hmm. And across accounts, and it makes it much harder for somebody to do that the kind of hack that happened to Matt Honan, you know, a decade ago. The, the the really famous hack where they got they knew what his email address was, and so they went from like Amazon to uh, iCloud. They got they got his email address from one, and then they were able to go to the other. Right. Yeah. So if you if you have a random email address for every single service that you use, it nobody will be able to like get get from. It'll be harder to get from that to your identity. Yeah. So that's a that's a big deal. Right, and Apple's position is developers really want it. The developers are wary of Facebook and Google, so they they want to throw. So they've come to them. So that's good, meeting some market demand. the The power move is that the iOS developer agreement has been updated to say if you have Google or Facebook login buttons in your app, you must provide sign in with Apple. You have yep. you have to have it. Your yep. app will be rejected if you have sign-in with Facebook and you don't have sign-in with Apple. There's Correct. a Reuters story saying Apple also wants their button to be the first button. Mm. Uh, that's a little <laughs> bit in dispute. Uh, but that, there's a Reuters story claiming that. So that's like a big platform owner move, right? How does that work with like Tinder, for instance, doesn't have a whole bunch of buttons. It has the Facebook button because they kind of want you to have a pretty expensive account mm-hmm. so that you can't be a, a, a scammer. Well, Barry Diller is going to have to sit down in his new Mac Pro, code up a sign-in with Apple button. I mean, like, that's the answer. The sign-in with Apple, like, from a technical level, it's, like, not exactly OAuth, but it's, like, OAuth-esque is what we were told. Um, And it will work. There's no reason you couldn't just put it on Android or put it on the web via any web browser. It'll work in, you know, such as a Safari thing. So it's not like Apple Pay, for example. So from a technical perspective, it's not like there's lock-in other than, like, you know in your heart that your account is like with Apple. And even if you don't own a single Apple device, you could still use it. But like in your heart, like you know that like Apple is the one that's sort of the mediator for all of your accounts. And I think this is like a big, another big philosophical shift for the company, right? I think a lot of people for a long time, their online presence, their online identity was like their Gmail account or their Hotmail account or their Yahoo account or their Facebook account, right? Like your identity lives in like a web service of this kind and your iCloud account philosophically existentially tied to your phone. Apple is like disassociating that a little bit and saying anybody can have an iCloud account. We will protect your privacy and you can like sign in with iCloud everywhere. 
Yeah. Do people are people going to believe that? Like, it, it's really hard to know exactly how this will play out. But I will say, like, this idea of like it's super important for individual security and privacy to decompose your email address from your phone number from your other online identities. Like right. those, those really need to become separate things because it's a huge attack vector for every human who has those things correlated. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a good idea. People, I mean, like there are wild cheers in the audience when they announce this thing. There is this company called Okta. Oh God. That uh, offers single sign-in for corporations so that you can have one sort of singular place that your employees need to sign into all the services that you offer, like Expensify and Concur and Slack and, you know, File Bug, you know, whatever, whatever you need to sign into. Uh, so that is technically a third-party sign-in. Do all these companies have to make a sign-in with Apple button now if they offer, like, corporate single sign-in services? I think we know that enterprise apps get passes. Yeah, Okay. Right. I mean, the like the pilot app that Delta deploys on iPad mini, like they're not going to be like, you have to use sign of Apple pilots. Like, <laughs> we'll see. I mean, like I, I, they changed it and that's very aggressive. I would say they changed it in the context of on the day of WWDC, another lawsuit from uh, developers was filed against Apple for antitrust stuff in the store. The FTC basically leaked, announced, like they told some reporters like, we're going to start looking at Apple. The House Judiciary Committee announced antitrust investigations into big tech. You actually look at Apple's stock price. All that stuff hit, and their stock price cratered while the keynote was going on. Uh, wow. it's, it's coming. If you had to rank who's in the most being investigated right now of the big tech companies. Facebook. Facebook, then? Google. Then Apple? Then Amazon. Whoa. Yeah. I mean that's the list. Like that's Elizabeth Warren's list, right? Facebook, Google. But as far Amazon. as active actively what is actually happening. Well, so we know that like the DOJ and the FTC have divvied up Google, Facebook, Am Amazon. That's mm -hmm. like a, a thing that's occurring. And then we know that Apple is like on everybody's list. We know there's these lawsuits pending. So that you know, Apple's position is like, look, we own the platform. Like just buy something else. It's not a bad position for them to be in. But when they say, hey, if you use a rival service and you, you want to put your app on our phone, you have to use our service, it's really touchy. It's like right on the line. Yep. Like what if you want to be Tinder and you want to have a tight Facebook integration and you don't want to offer login with Google and you're, you've like made that business choice to put Tinder on the iPhone, now you have to make the business choice to log in with Apple. Yeah. That's, that's like a pure expression of iPhone dominance. Yeah, it's textbook. We are dominant in this domain and we are going to use that dominance to become stronger in another domain where we are not currently. Hmm. And their argument is, and that's great because we're not going to steal your data like these other jerks. Right. So, like, you have to, like, really buy it. I think a lot of people do buy it. That's why they were cheering. But it that the backdrop of WWBC was, like, antitrust rumbles. And hmm. then Apple's big announcement that got all these cheers was, like, by the way, if you want to use our platform, you have to use our service. <laughs> uh, all right, let's very quickly go through the rest. We're going way over. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to read some stuff. Apple is building a major defense against spam calls in iOS 13. That's great. Kind of overdue. CarPlay Catch is up. getting a redesign. Oh, my God. The new CarPlay redesign is great. It's tunes and turns on the same screen, and I'm very happy. Apple TV and iOS will soon support Xbox One and PS4 controllers. Massive cheers for this in the room. Yeah. I think it is very smart. 
HomePod will get multi-user support. Like in the, this is just a list of things that are overdue. The HomePod will get multi-user support. That's cool. The iPad won't though. The iPad the won't bizarrely. HomeKit's getting support for home security cameras. Oh, they announced that uh, they're going to work with Eero and Linksys to firewall HomeKit away from like the internet, so like, your HomeKit devices like are are like firewalled, so they you can't basically it's a, you reduce the attack vector. Yeah, it, they definitely made it sound like you would need a new router for this. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that Eero just needs a software update, but they. Hmm. It, it just it's just something I know. Um, so that's coming. That's it's neat, I guess. The video camera thing is a long time coming, so I think people are excited about that. Uh, Apple Watch got a bunch of updates. Their cycle tracking also uh, sort of long overdue. Fifty percent of the world is women, as you may know. Yeah, one thing about that cycle tracking, uh, they were really thoughtful about the display of it. They were really conservative about what days they were going to predict for your period, and they were also just. Uh, really, I don't know, thoughtful, I guess is the word I'll use again, when it comes to fertility tracking, um, you have to turn it on in the initial setup workflow of it, and you can turn it off at any time. So if that's the sort of thing you just don't want to see, you won't have to see it. Yeah. Which is like a super important thing to have done. Yeah. I mean, I think they spent obviously spent the most time there with watchOS. I think people are going to really like it. Yeah. WatchOS, new watch faces, great. New monochrome stuff, great. Streaming audio API, which is notable because Spotify is suing Apple for antitrust issues in Europe. And one of their big concerns is that they were never allowed to make a watch app. Mm-hmm. This is a question. Could could Spotify make an app now? And they were like, you'd have to ask them. But, but you know, using the, these puzzle pieces... It is true that you could assemble a puzzle. Like it was, so <laughs> that's a big one. Oh, uh, and it has a decibel meter, which I think is super fun. It's like the yeah. nerdiest thing you can do. It'll tell tell you when the, your environment's too loud. TVOS gets a new home screen, also long overdue, and multi-user support. That new home screen has like full screen, like moving previews, which is like the big thing that all you know TV smart TVs are doing. If that bleepin' 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 has sound. I am lighting my Apple TV on fire. It's going to have sound. God damn it. <laughs> Duh. Um, multi-user support, long time coming. TVOS is getting a, a home, like a control center. One thing yeah. I think is really interesting on TVOS, in the Apple TV in particular now, is now that Apple's putting its app everywhere, they have to do something to make the box worth it. Right. Right? Because if you want to watch an Apple show or use iTunes or whatever, and it's already built into your Samsung TV, why would you ever buy this box? So I... I'm hoping that that the box gets more powerful because they have to they have to sell it. Yeah. All right. I think that's everything. Now, at last, we can talk about the most important part of Dub Dub, which was Swift UI. Thank you for bringing it up. Is that is that <laughs> is that is that the feature of the week that we never forget, Paul? No, no. Swift oh. UI is important mainstream news for regular people. <laughs> <laughs> I just Swift UI is really exciting to me. I have attempted. I've never worked very hard to learn how to be an Apple developer, but it's always been very difficult, especially because Apple it, Swift exists, but Apple's UI toolkit that you are talking to using the programming language Swift has all still been, for the most part, Objective C. 
And so the thing that you quickly learn when you're trying to learn how to develop for app for iOS and Mac is that you actually need to learn two programming languages, which is just, it's a little foreboding. Apple is finally making like a natively Swift UI kit called Swift UI. And it's also part of this like main, this like, um, trend in the industry of these declarative UI paradigms. So like Google's Flutter or Android Jetpack or Facebook's React, uh, Swift UI really fits in with those. So whereas you do have to learn Swift to, to, to make a, an app with it, you pretty much already understand how to use something like this because it's a very familiar paradigm for most developers. I think it could be huge as far as bringing in new developers to the ecosystem who were just put off, like me, who are put off by all the complexity and difficulty. And if they want to make a, a Greenfield brand new app, uh, it, it seems like, it looks like it will be a lot easier, more straightforward, and more fun to develop for. Yeah, I, I, I didn't get to go to the State of the Union developer keynote side, but just like I got the distinct vibe that Apple, as far as Apple is concerned, like Swift and Swift UI is like, it's the future. They're not saying get with the program, but they're saying if you got with the program, I wouldn't, that wouldn't be the worst idea. Well, it's sort of one in, one out, where they're kind of deprecating the old Mac, the old way of making Mac applications. Yep. While they're also bringing in a brand new um, paradigm, yep. I'm I'm stoked. It seemed like a lot of people are very excited about this as well. I mean, more cheers, more more demo cheers. I do wonder. It's more like you made an app for our platform. We want you to spend all of your time writing this code over here, and maybe not this other kind of. You know what I mean? It's just more Apple. Yeah. More Apple ecosystem stuff. But, like, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know? Paul, what's the comparison between this and, like, React Native? Well, the the, the classic React Native term is, is learn once, write anywhere. So that you still have to write platform-specific code, but you're all doing it all on that single paradigm. But React Native is JavaScript that then communicates with native widgets to get them, move them around the screen and put them on, on the screen and stuff. Um, so it's 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 you're not rendering a web page, but you're it's still powered by JavaScript. Um, so this is actual native Swift code that's calling native APIs. Uh, so it's it theoretically going to be more performant. Well, I um, look forward to your forthcoming <laughs> iOS apps, Paul. Gone90.biz. It's coming I could, for us. I could bring Gone90.biz to to native uh, iPad iPad OS only. <laughs> Requires a file browser. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, we're going to take a break. We're not going to forget Paul's segment, and we're going to spend, mm. I would say, three minutes talking about Stadia, because it, it literally happened today. We'll be right back. Paul Miller. Yeah. Every week, All you deliver a segment uh -huh. renowned for its consistency. And renowned for the idea that I always have the tab open. Uh, before you start saying <laughs> what I think is the say. best thing about this segment is that we literally do it every week and it is still literally the sloppiest <laughs> intro. <laughs> <laughs> like what are we most practiced at? It is this. It's but called, go ahead. it's called no more notches. And it, there's a question mark. A lot of people leave off the question, mark, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's no more notch notches. Uh, so oppo hits the scene with a notchless phone that has a front-facing camera through magical technology that makes the the, the, the screen see-through when the cam camera's engaged. 
But like three hours later, <laughs> Xiaomi also has an under display camera. So apparently right now, like you're, you're not going to have as good of quality from the front facing camera as you would if you have a true notch. But this does seem like this was the inevitable. This is the actual future, right? Yeah. Like a screen that disappears so that the mm -hmm. camera can take a front facing shot and then it, it goes, it goes back. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the, the goal is to hide the, all the sensors, the fingerprint reader and the camera mm. under the screen. It's and happening. So here we are. It's the dream. No more notches, question mark. So I still think the future is the insane Asus phone that we saw where the camera literally like flips up. It's the rear cameras and it yeah. makes yeah. like Cybertron noises when it does it. So it's like, <laughs> and then well, you, can, you can like rotate it to any, any angle because that's obviously what phones have needed. I think if Samsung and Apple have taught us anything, it is that hinges are the highest of engineering arts. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Here's my conspiracy theory. The big honking notch on the Pixel 3 XL was there because they are, when you, if you're going to have the camera behind the screen, you need to have a bigger sensor to bring in more light. You, like, you've, got, you need, you've got more space to work with back there. Mm. So they designed the whole thing assuming they'd get the screen technology figured out. And then at the 11th hour, like, that doesn't work. Uh, well, we, we're not going to redesign the whole phone. Well, I guess we have a big notch now, don't we? <laughs> Way to go, guys. <laughs> sure do. That's my conspiracy theory. That's a good conspiracy like theory. I'm a fan. I think my conspiracy theory about the Pixel 3 is it was designed to make people really want the Pixel 4. That's <laughs> 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 something I'm working with. Um, all right, Stadia was, Google Stadia was literally announced today Yep. just before we came on, so I feel like we have to talk about it just for a minute even though we just did an hour and a half in WWC. The news is that it costs $10 a month. And it's launching in November. It's launching in November. $10 a month for the the sort of like 4K tier. You can buy like the Founders Edition. They'll give you the controller. It's like $130. bucks. they will give you three months free. Neat. You still have to buy the games. You still have to buy the games. There will be a free tier in 2020 that's 1080p 60, so you don't have to pay the subscription for it. Um, but you're, and they do intend to someday have a back catalog of free games. But at this point, Google launched a service, and it just took us three minutes to explain to you how much it's going to cost and what you're going to get, which means that they they just they just did it wrong. Mm, I mean, I am excited about Power Rangers Battle for the Grid. Yeah. So here's yeah. here's my question. So I have not paid for Xbox Live for a long time because I. I just play one video game, which is Madden, and I play it by myself in, at night very badly. But I just started paying for PS Plus because I have two mm -hmm. PS4s, and I need to get a save file from one to the other. Uh, and it is literally easier to pay for a cloud service to do that than it is to like use a USB stick. So I just did it. Uh, great. So my question is, does this compete? Is this more like you're already paying X dollars a month for PS Plus and Xbox Live, pay that same amount a month, you don't need a console, and you get multiplayer and you get games, mm -hmm. or is it buy this instead of a console and just rent access to your video games that you buy from us forever? Unclear. I think the answer, as always, with video games is are there exclusives, which we know it's uh, Guilt by Tequila Works and Get Packed by Coatsync. I know nothing about these games. If, if the exclusives are any good, that changes the calculus on that decision. Yeah, St Stadia does have the opportunity, the technology, like a lot of the limitations in multiplayer about how many people you can have all at once are due to the the fact that 
the players are geographically distributed and that they're all trying to cheat and hack for your WoW gold. So it, Stadia has the potential to solve those and make very unique, interesting multiplayer experiences. And so they could have some pretty compelling, they're not exclusives just because uh, Google paid somebody $10 million. They're exclusives because they only work on Stadia and then other possible cloud similar services. But until they have that, I don't see who this appeals to. Other, It's like maybe a cash-strapped parent whose child wants video games, but you can't afford a console for them. Yeah. But, but you're still paying 10 bucks a month. Yeah. But you could do the free tier at 1080. And honestly, the, the question is, given the state of uh, quote-unquote high-speed internet in America, uh, is is it worth paying the 10 bucks a month? All right, does, do en- does, en- does enough people, do enough people in America have like the bandwidth to justify that? If you have fiber, you seem like the sort of person that could probably afford an Xbox One or PlayStation 4 or yeah. a real, a real yeah. computer. By the way, uh, it sucks to be Hawaii or Guam because they, they, they're not launching in Hawaii or Guam uh, for now. I will say that uh, they're launching first in Europe because Europe has the appropriate regulatory infrastructure to make sure fiber is deployed to many people and their speeds are faster <laughs> and their prices are cheaper. But that's just me. That's just who I am. <laughs> look, look, this is why we got a race to 5G for some reason. That's right. So we can have Stadia so that we can rent, rent access to things that we buy. <laughs> so confusing anyway that's the news it's e3 next week so like there's more video game news coming Mm. we'll have people there it's gonna happen but i want to talk about it because it happened today okay we have gone way too long it's been it's been emotional we we talked about everything i do want to remind everyone that uh apple's idea about where machine learning should happen involves uh detecting motion and video on the home pod it's very important (laughs) to me to remind you that that's where they're at that's the end of the show. You can listen to Why'd You Push That Button with Caitlin and Ashley. It's very good. I encourage you to listen to it. You can listen to Recode Decode with Kara Swisher. You can listen to Recode Media, Peter Kafka. All excellent shows available on the Vox Podcast Network. You can rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts, uh, you might know, is a dominant provider of podcasts, so our producers ask me to make you rate us and review us there. I'm just saying. Those are just words I'm saying. I'm mm-hmm. also saying break them up. Rock and roll. <laughs> Paul. Paul. <laughs> <laughs>